So we did the three parts of the Torah. We did, of course, the Ralbag's uh, really fundamental, you know, is the way that he uh, introduces the Torah in the framework of Hashkachat Hashem. I think that's one of the key chidushim in his presentation that you see Chuchmah and Hanina, what he calls it, in the universe. And you see that with respect to all creatures. Um, and there's an objective realm in which we have a very limited ability to uh, perceive the ultimate truths. But then in our own framework, in the human framework, and that's why he changed from talking about the tzur. The tzur is the foundation of existence. And then you have Hashem as the, the one who is um, the creator, <clears throat> that is uh, the one that is involved in the, our development. Um, and in both of these frameworks, so we know that there's a realm of knowledge that's uh, beyond our ability, or we can just uh, touch the edges of it. And then there is a realm of knowledge that pertains to our own lives uh, and that we, that we can access. And, uh, but the, the thing that he does that's really beautiful in the beginning is how he sort of integrates it. He shows that the Torah is an, ex, an extension of the idea of Hashkachat Hashem in creation, that just as Hashkachat Hashem brings everything from, you know, uh, through a process of actualization or fulfillment or completion. So the Torah does that for human beings because since we are, uh, we have free choice and intellect. So therefore our development is not going to be a physical development only. It's going to be a, uh, it's going to require understanding the development of understanding and insight uh, to facilitate it. And that's what the Torah is about. And therefore you see that just like we have a limit in our understanding of Hashem's creation and the Briah, we're going to have a limit in our understanding of the full extent of the wisdom and the perfection of the Torah and how it brings us closer to, uh, uh, you know, to the, the objective uh, of Torah because uh, because it's it as an element of Hashem's wisdom, it's going to be infinite. Really, that was one of the things that he uh, that he said. And then he divided the Torah into the three parts. And the three parts that I'm really summarizing very briefly. And there's so much here because we saw that really every word, especially in the first part, is uh, very profound. Um, but he had the three categories. He had the category which was uh, the category of knowledge of ideas the category of midot and the category of mitzvot. And he mentioned that both in the area of knowledge and in the area of midot, it's a process. In other words, basically the mitzvot give us a foundation or a framework. And, and in the area of knowledge, you're growing. It's a process. And, we, and as I had mentioned and explained last time, midot are also a type of a knowledge because real midot, having proper character, like the way the Rambam explains it in Mishneh Torah, Having proper character really means governing your actions by chuchmah. It doesn't just mean being balanced in the sense of being even in the way that you treat things half the time, one way, half the time, the other way. That's not what it means by balanced or the middle path. The middle path means that you're not reacting based on any inner or external compulsion. You're basing yourself on a an objective response to the circumstances. Objective response to the circumstances is really the golden path that the Rambam is talking about, the golden middle. Um, and that's why it's called So in order to attain that, you need chuchmah. It's not something that you can fake. You cannot, uh, it's not something that's just a matter of motion or habit. It's something which has to be internalized. And therefore, as the Ralbag says, therefore there's no legislation on midot and knowledge. There is a path or an objective or a ideal that is articulated in the Torah. The mitzvot help give us a framework, but attaining the ideal is a process of growth that occurs uh, in time. It's not something that is legislated as black and white. That's basically what he said. And so he gave us those three parts of the Torah. And then he says, and then he said that, you know, it's necessary that this be the case because we're made up of an intellect and a character, personality, and uh, an action. And so these three areas are governed and regulated and perfected by the Torah. Now he says, um, he says uh, uh, that, um, and I'm skipping where, where we were last time. He says that. Uh, You're not going to share your screen? Say what? You're not going to share your screen? Last time they didn't want me to. Should I show it? I don't know. Why not? Okay, I can. Here. Why, why would somebody not want it's it's gonna let me. I don't know. Last time it was giving me a hard time screen sharing for some reason. It's doing it again. Hold on. It's not it's not being my friend and screen sharing. I don't know why. Let me try it.
if you can't do it, could you say where um, where you have the online text? I was up on my cell when it started. You're getting, you're getting from oh, I see. I didn't have it on system preferences to share my screen for some reason. That's weird. I don't know why that would be. So let me just do this one second. I did not know that I had not done that. It won't be able to record the content, but that's fine with me. I don't need to record the content. Okay. So now, ah, here we go. Beautiful. There it is. Now you can see, right? So you can see, this is nice. I mean, this is the way that the, uh, the al website looks. It's nice and had less typos than the other one. All right, so we have, um, so we are up to um, this paragraph here, where it says, this is, there's a necessity in dividing the Torah into these three components because because a person so because a person has to perfect himself in character and knowledge as fully as possible to attain perfection we read this last time, but since we're in the paragraph, we'll read it again. So in brief, what that means is that the mitzvot and give us elements, ideas, um, discipline that is related to the area of tikkun haguf, which he includes, by the way, the emotional life in tikkun haguf, which is correct. Uh, the emotions and the personality are part of tikkun haguf. And the knowledge, the area of knowledge and the perfection of the mind, the mitzvot contribute to both of these. So for instance, just to give an example, you know, I mentioned last time, I think, but kashrut, let's say, for instance, teaches a person moderation and self-control in the area of eating, or the arayot teach a person moderation and self-control in the area of sexual, uh, uh, sexual behavior. But that's not the same as internalizing, a, uh, internalizing an attitude towards eating or towards uh, sexuality that is in accordance with uh, the, the proper midot, as the Ram, he calls it midot, what the Rambam calls hilchot deot, the Ralbag would call, de, would call midot, same concept. Uh, but the idea is that uh, what you internalize, in other words, the mitzvot are sort of signposts to direct you towards certain ideals that you then internalize. And then let's say for in nimtzaot, in terms of knowledge of creation, so let's say Shabbat, for instance, existence points to the idea of the order of creation and, the, and, and Hashem's uh, creation of the universe. That's uh, different than actually understanding and fathoming the uh, creation, which is a long process. So the mitzvot highlight these ideas, point us to the, these ideas, but they don't give us the full extent of, uh, of, an, of comprehension. That's a process of, of development. So that's what he says. The mitzvot give us an indication of what, uh, you know, a framework for our midot development and a framework for our intellectual development that we have to fill in with the actual process. Now he says, now we get to the question that we left off last time. This is the question he raises. He says, a person will have a question on me because I'm telling you that the Torah is divided evenly, evenly into three components. But you can actually see that there's some mitzvot that actually are symbolic of ideas about chokhmat nimtzaot. That's what he calls understanding of reality of the maseb merkava, maseb reishit areas of knowledge that have very, that's very difficult. He says, asher that to, uh, to really understand them, it's very profound and very difficult. And as I had mentioned, I think in the first class, there's a dispute between the Ralbag and the Rambam about whether prophecy can reveal to you things that are simply unknowable by human reason, or they just help human reason attain an understanding of things that would be extremely difficult to understand otherwise. The Ralbag is actually of the, the opinion that prophecy leads the Navi to understand 
th truths that he that are provable, just that he wouldn't have been able to prove them on his own or reach the understanding of the proof on his own. <coughs> Whereas the Rambam thinks that the Navi can receive knowledge that's unprovable. The Rambam argues with him and doesn't like that, but that's another story. But that's why he uses that language. I have like, a question. Yeah. Sorry for uh, engaging on that tangent, but um, things that are, for example, sometimes in a dream state, you like, you'll experience something in a dream that's not really part of a possible reality when you're awake. I don't know if you like, you probably have experienced this or like know what I'm referring to. So would Rabad consider that those dream state visions that a person may have, would he consider that part of uh, what's unknowable or what's knowable? Meaning, would he consider that as part of what's provable or unprovable? Well, he's really he's focused more on let's say more broader questions. He there is such a thing as a chalom amiti that could be separate from prophecy. Could have like certain intuitions in in dreams. He talks about it in Sefer Milchamot Hashem, his philosophical book. But um, he he's talking more about like let's say for example for example the classic question of whether the world is created from nothing or not. So the Rambam in the, in the Moran of basically says, look, it's not provable either way. So we're going to go with what the, the Pshat of Bereshit is that it's Yesh Me'ayin. And that's what Nivua reveals to you, the thing that's unsolvable from human perspective. So we need Nivua to tell us. Whereas the, in that way, the Rambam is, like I said last time, a little closer to a Mikubal. You know, he's telling you there are things that you can receive from Nivua that are not uh, not wouldn't be knowable definitively otherwise. And the Rambam says that makes prophetic knowledge inferior to regular knowledge because regular knowledge is with proofs and demonstrations. And you're saying that the Navi knows something without proof and demonstration. So his knowledge is actually inferior because he can't really show you why it's true. So that makes the Navi inferior to a regular uh, knower. Yeah, so that's the Rambam's general issue. He also has what that same Rambam problem. Does? What? So what does Ralbag say that Nivuah does in that case? Yeah, so the Ralbag is a is sort of sees the Nivuah. The Rambam and the Ralbag agree that prophecy is a kind of advanced level of human understanding, and it's it's rooted in and 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 based upon human understanding and knowledge, like we've explained before about you know dreams and stuff like that, how they fit with the idea of Nivuah. But the difference is that the Rambam thinks that there's that a person is ultimately receives the Nivuah. Whereas the Ralbag believes that a person is masig, the nivwa, meaning that the, he he attains a level of clarity, the divine intervention in nivwa is that it enables him. It would be like if we were able to see a proof, um, like when a scientist suddenly sees a proof for a theorem that he had that uh, he couldn't prove for a long time. Like that that's what that's what the Navi's comprehension is. But that's in general true about the Ralbag, that he also has a problem with the Rambam's idea that God's knowledge is not like our knowledge, because then he says, what are you saying? So then what does it even mean to say that God has knowledge and all that? So the Ralbag argues with the Rambam and a lot, a lot of these Dvarim Moshel Olam. But uh, I'm just pointing it out so, so you understand. Ralbag yeah, yeah. sees part of more of a natural scale of, of understanding and mental development. And Rambam says, it's qualitatively different and it can just, and is not part of that same, like, like a process of acquiring information. Um, he, they, they do both agree actually that it is on that continuum. The difference is that the Rambam would take it further and say that you could sometimes receive insights in Nivoa that are not, you're not able to show um, mm. that they necessarily follow from other things that you know, whereas the Ralbag would say that it's more of an accelerated process of, of cognition where you, wouldn't, you would never have an idea in prophecy that you couldn't demonstrate afterwards with proof. It would just kind be- Kind of like a, Arya Kaplan's uh, meditative experiences. Is that what he, he talks about? If you read his books, he talks about like meditative experiences that, allowed him to solve math equations that he couldn't yeah. solve when he was not. Oh, for sure. I totally believe in that. I mean, when we talked about dreams in, in, in Israel a couple of years ago, we talked about this idea of nivuah and prophecy and how they relate. I believe 100% that that's, we underestimate the benefit of allowing the imagination to, uh, to uh, you know, to sort of churn on itself and discover insights. We, we were too distracted. Um, that's uh, for sure. 
But the, the, the Ralbag and the Rambam are, have some differences on some of these finer metaphysical points that are a little beyond this, but I just want to mention it because that's why he always uses that term. A lot of his terms are, a lot of his language is either engaging with, responding to, or building on what the Rambam says. So, and sometimes it's a nuance, you know? But anyway, he says, let's say, for example, the, the Melechet Mishkan that he explains in great detail how the Melechet Mishkan, the design of the Mishkan, reflects ideas about Maaseh Boreshit, Maaseh Merkava, all kinds of philosophical ideas. He says, but wait a second. I just told you the Torah is divided into three parts. One is mitzvot. One is ideas about Hashem and about the creation. Uh, one is midot. But sometimes they overlap because here you see a mitzvah, such as building the Mishkan, but it's also teaching you ideas about God. So how does it work? He says, he says, he says, I still hold what I'm saying, that the third part is, a, is the process of intellectual development, and it's built on the mitzvot, but it is not identified with the mitzvot. Okay, he says, first of all, there's a difference between the Mishkan, let's say if it represents all kinds of deep ideas about God, and the actual study of Maaseh Bereshit and deep ideas about God in, in studying Parashat Bereshit in depth or studying Maaseh uh, Merkava or whatever it is. One difference is that the, the, the components of the Torah that directly speak about Hashkachat Hashem and the creation, that's their main focus. That's their primary content. They're talking about God's creation. Whereas these mitzvot that might symbolize ideas about God, that's secondary to what they actually are. In other words, they're a mashal, they're, a, they're representative of, they're, they're pointing the mind to certain ideas, but they're not primarily expressing those ideas. It's secondary. Even though, you know, obviously uh, it directs you towards understanding the uh, these metaphors and these... Um, these, uh, uh, you know, and these uh, representations that are in the, uh, that are in the Mishkan. In other words, what he means is that if you didn't have any background or framework in understanding the ways of God and understanding Hashkachan, all that, you wouldn't really understand what was being represented in the Mishkan to begin with. It's not like in and of itself, it represents these ideas. It represents them if you understand those ideas to begin with. And I think this is the main, maybe the most, the clearest argument. He's saying, really, the highlighting of ideas in, in creation that you find in the Mishkan, that's really part of the third part of the Torah. In other words, we are commanded to do the mitzvot, and these mitzvot happen to have in them certain hints towards deeper ideas. But the mitzvah is not to understand the ideas. To understand the mitzvah, do the mitzvah, right? We're supposed to do the mitzvah. He says in the same, in other words, the mitzvah is to build the mishkan. It happens to be that the mishkan has embedded in it certain ideas that it represents, certain concepts, certain teachings. That is the, uh, that's secondary to the mitzvah itself. That's really in the third part of the Torah. When you enter into understanding the metaphysical representations in the Mishkan, you're entering into the third part. Just like if you enter into the laws of Kashrut and you start discussing what they mean about midot and how a person's attitude towards food should be, or you start learning about tzitzit and what should, how does that teach you what your attitude towards clothing should be an image and all that. And what really did tzitzit tell you about that? Or what tefillin tell you about what's valuable and what, you know, how you should adorn yourself and what adornment really means and what your values really are. That's getting into the area of midot already. You're already operating. In other words, what he's saying is that the division is not so much content. The same content can be approached under one of these three headings. So the mitzvah can be looked at in terms of what ideas and midot it's pointing to. When you're learning that aspect, you're learning the part of the Torah that is the midot part. And when you're learning the aspect, which is the metaphysical ideas that are represented by the, these mitzvot, then you're learning the aspect that is 
that is the metaphysical ideas. You're learning chelik shlishi. You're not learning the chelik of the mitzvot anymore. So that, that's, I think, the most, that's the clearest way to divide it up, really, that to say that these are all really fall into one, uh, one answer. The one answer is that it's not so much a content division as an objective division in, in goals and objectives. If you're seeking the midot lesson of the mitzvah, you're looking at the mitzvah under a different rubric than if you're looking for the metaphysical ideas that are suggested in the mitzvah. If you're looking at the metaphysical ideas suggested in the mitzvah, that's different than looking at the halachic uh, constructs that are in the mitzvah. These are three different headings. Not necessarily is the content divided always neatly into three categories, but the the lessons or the the perspectives are three. There's a there's a perspective. What ideas about objective reality do I learn from here? What objectives about human values do I learn from here? And what mitzvot in terms of practicality do I learn from here? So you have three different learning objectives, more than three different categories of content. And he shows you that very nicely using the example of the Mishkan, where he spends quite a great deal of time explaining all of the metaphysical rimazim that are embedded in the Mishkan. Um, uh, he wants to use that example. He could have used the example of Kashrut or Shabbat also, where you have a similar phenomenon that you can look at Kashrut in terms of the Halakha. You can look at it in terms of Midot. You can also look at it in terms of the metaphysical ideas that are suggested by some of the laws of Kashrut um, and, the, and, and so on. And it, it, when you're, depending on what you're, how you're approaching it, you could say the mitzvah, insofar as it's a mitzvah, is primarily about the behavior that we engage in. Uh, it's secondarily, or as an extension, we can look at it, you know, it has these other ob objectives or these other benefits of, of midot and, and metaphysical insight. That was his first answer, really. Okay, and you, that you, um, I know I just wasn't here, so I'm lacking some basic information, but what does he mean by midot? Midot? So he divided the Torah into three things. He has the he has what he calls deot is really what the Rambam would call yisodeya Torah or something like that. Really, ideas about the universe, and midot is character traits like like the Rambam would call in hilchot deot. So character principles of character. So to use an example. In the area of mitzvot, we would say what is kosher and not kosher. You could say midot is that a person should learn moderation and discipline and balance in their diet and recognize that food is a means and not an end, and therefore it shouldn't be an endless engagement with food. Or and a person should only, like the Rambam says in Hilchot Deot. Actually, also the Rambam's son has the best. I mean, in the beginning of Hamaspik um, Ovdei Hashem, which I hope some of you have uh, looked at. It's like a Musar book written by the Rambam's son. Unfortunately, we're missing a great deal of it. We're missing most of it. Uh, they've never found from Niza yet. Hopefully one day they will. Really hope so, because what we do have is pretty amazing. And uh, in the beginning, he gives an amazing example. And I think I mentioned it in the previous shiur that, uh, that he gives an example in Kashrut and in Shabbat. He says like a person who understands Kashrut will slowly internalize, you know, the message of what food's role should really be in your, in your life. And eventually will be a person who only eats healthy and only eats the right balanced food because he recognizes that every, that is eating is only instrumental to a higher purpose and it shouldn't deviate from the purpose of keeping the body healthy and enabling it to serve God and so on. That's the highest level of midot. In other words, that's a character principle that's internalized in the person from the mitzvah, but it's building on the mitzvah or Shabbat, a person's Shabbat experience, he talks about the experience of a person who is really relating to the message of Shabbat as a day of reflection on Maaseh Boreshit versus the average person who keeps the halachot of Shabbat and doesn't violate Shabbat. Then you have somebody in the middle who thinks a little bit about God's creation on Shabbat, but he doesn't, he's not immersed in it. He's mainly taking a day of rest, spending time with his family and so on. So in other words, there are levels of uh, metaphysical engagement with the meaning of the mitzvot and with the midot that come from that. Because in Shabbat also, there's a midah in Shabbat also, which is not being a workaholic. That's also, uh, that's a midah, meaning that's a that's a, a, a character, a principle of character or human behavior, a value, we could call it. I think we would call it a value, um, probably in modern terms, a value that's internalized in the person is, um, mm -hmm. is uh, not being a workaholic. That's part of what Shabbat teaches you. You have to stop work. To what extent? What is it? What is it? Go, Sean. Go. So there's like an action, which is mitzvah. Then there is a, a value that develops within the person from the action, which right. is the, the mitzvah. And then there is a deeper metaphysical understanding, which dawns on the person after 
as the next level, as the highest level. Right. So not every mitzvah might might lead as directly into that metaphysical understandings and ideas uh, as okay, others. Okay. Yeah. How so then, I mean, Shabbat is an easy that? one to see. Shabbat is an easy one to see. Um, I, I, obviously, any mitzvah that relates to Yitziat Mitzrayim, Zechad Yitziat Mitzrayim. So, you, you know, it's, it reminds you of Yitziat Mitzrayim, but think of all the ideas that are, uh, think of all the ideas about Hashkacha and Hashem's purpose and, and Yudke Vavke and El Shaddai and all the stuff that we learned about in the beginning in Parashat Shemot when we were learning it just a couple weeks ago that are in that story of, of Yitziat Mitzrayim. So imagine a person when they put on tefillin thinks about all those ideas, you know, it's like, uh, so that, that's way beyond the action of, uh, of, of putting on the tefillin. It's going into what is really a zechel Yitziat Mitzrayim, reflecting on the metaphysical ideas of Yitziat Mitzrayim and what they mean about Hashem and his relationship to the creation. All that's like, it's profound stuff. Actually, there's a nice Ramban on the end of Parashat Bo that also talks a little bit about it from the Ramban's you know, perspective, but, but also very good. Um, a little bit different. Like but, the metaphysical right. lessons, though, are so limited. Like we, a whole bunch of mitzvot are tied to just one thing, Yitziat yeah. Mitzrayim. Yeah. You know, like how many metaphys- metaphysical lessons are there actually? Um, Yitziat Mitzrayim is obviously the uh, foundation of our understanding of Hashkacha, basically. So it's that's why it's woven into everything. I mean, the, the Ramban talks about it at the end of uh, at the end of Bo. Actually, that's what it, that's what. There's a long Ramban there where he talks about why there are so many mitzvot related to that, and also uh, the Sefer Chinuch says that there's so many mitzvot that are zechel Yitziat Mitzrayim. It's almost all of them, really. But the reason yeah. is because Yitziat Mitzrayim is the foundation of our of our Yidiyat Hashem. That's the and you see from the beginning of Moshe Rabbeinu's shlichut. The main shlichut of Moshe Rabbeinu is to educate the people towards an understanding of God, and uh, and the uh, the the way that you see that is like let's say for example in the Haggadah even that they were learning they were learning bitziat mitzrayim ayum sapim bitziat mitzrayim koloto alayla at shabau talmidehem v'amulahem. What does that mean? That means that they went right from their reflection on Yitzhak Mitzrayim into the Kabbalat Ol Malchut Shemaim of Kriyat Shema, which means to say that their observance of mitzvot the rest of the year was connected to their reflection on Yitzhak Mitzrayim on the night of Pesach. So it was a constant cycle. In other words, the deeper, why were these Chachamim so busy with thinking about Yitzhak Mitzrayim? I mean, they didn't learn the story in uh, a million times. But there's so much depth to the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and that depth actually then Im- works its way through uh, all of the mitzvot that they do the rest of the year, including their Kabbalat Ol Malchut Shemaim, which is really, you know, ex- it's mivuseset. It's based on rooted in their uh, understanding of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So it really all comes back to that. There's t- uh, so much. To that, learn- hmm? Maybe you could say that the metaphys- metaphysical lessons from the Torah are they're very few but they're so fundamental to like human beings like experience in, in in this world that they're they're just constantly reiterated from different angles and from different like rituals that's definitely like, true like, let's say for example have, let's like, say for example have, like, the idea of before you see there are certain ideas that elements of the stories that are really emphasized a lot like makat bechorot is emphasized a lot yeah. There's a lot of mitzvot on makat bechorot, pidyon abin, uh, bringing a bechor animal. There's a lot of emphasis on that in particular, on, 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 and obviously related to makat bechorot. So what's the reason for that? So there's a lot of ideas in, in makat bechorot. There's the idea of yidiyat Hashem down to the particular, that he was distinguished between the bechor and the non-bechor. There's the idea of creation and our creative ability, that one of the things that a human being has that Animals have also the ability to reproduce, but human beings are re- reflect on that ability and 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 conceptualize that that ability to reproduce and to create and see themselves as creators. And what does that really mean to have the ability to create and to bring forth, uh, you know, new organic life and things like that? Uh, and you know, how, how, what does that mean in terms of our relationship to the creation as a whole? And how do we put that in perspective and make sure that it's in it's consistent with God's plan and not uh, and not an attempt to compete with or undermine God's plan. So there, there's so much in Yitzhak Mitzrayim of ideas that could be taken further and further and further. And the Shemot Hashem, that's why, you know, that's why uh, the Ramban especially, um, but really all of the, uh, 
because the Ramban is coming from a Kabbalistic perspective, so he's more explicit about these things, but he emphasizes the Shemot Hashem and how they change in different stories, because, which means to say that all of the different elements of the story uh, involve clarification and understanding Hashkachat Hashem in some way or another, and different ideas that relate to God's creation, and it's infinite, really, that's Maseh Boishit and Maseh Merkava, but it's a Mavo, an entrance into those areas. Um, so, so he says, so that's that's where that, that's, I ask, um, yeah. Uh, sorry, I keep talking. Sorry, uh-huh. everyone. Um, this topic uh, it's very interesting. Um, there's there's a lot of my only problem with this, like I I remember reading the introduction of Hamaskik of the Hashem, and it, it's very it's almost like the whole process of growing closer to Hakadosh Baruch Hu or growing within the framework of Yahadut, let's say, is very intellectual. Yeah. Like you need the person, the mitzvot, you just do the actions, but then to develop maybe the values also happens as a byproduct of engaging the actions. But then yeah. the third level, which seems to be like the ideal between all of these philosophers, is something that it's you need to be like a very profound and deep thinker to actually appreciate these things. And there are some people that the dots in their mind don't connect that well so that for, for them to even appreciate this level of understanding. Yeah. So yeah. then does True. does closeness to God then become just the possession of the intelligent people and then people who are, you know, not as intelligent just can't get there? No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I think that uh, one of the books that um, that I read over the summer that actually, uh, I think Bensi uh, Sioni lent it to me and they, they were going to interview this guy. His name is Lee uh l goodman i think his name was uh something like that um his last name was goodman uh he's a professor and they were going to interview him on their podcast very deep guy was it's like a really difficult book to read because you kind of had to have a very thorough philosophical background as well as a very thorough background in torah and in rambam and in talmud and all that like he really he obviously, he wasn't like a person who read the Rambam superficially, like a lot of philosoph- philosophers or phil- pro- professors of philosophy. They read the Rambam in a superficial way, or especially the Mishneh Torah, they don't give it much time. He knew the Mishneh Torah and every nuance. It was like incredible to read the book, extremely difficult to read, but very worthwhile. And one of the things that he said in there that I remember that I liked a lot was he said that what is the reason for the 13, and, he, and of course he's a big Rambam, pro-Rambam person, but he also integrates it with many other things. And he, one of the things he said was the, the idea of the Yud Gimel Ikarim. Why did the Rambam give the 13 principles of, you know, of Emunah? What was the value of that? And he said, this was basically the Rambam's answer to how do you explain how the Hamun Am have a relationship with Hashem and Kol Yisrael Yeshlem Chelek Leolam all that, when at the same time you're saying that relationship with Hashem is really this very lofty intellectual uh, experience or lofty intellectual level. So I said that really the Yud Gimel Ikarim is the answer to that, that, uh, that that's why the, the Rambam is saying that the fact that the Torah makes these idea, ideas accessible to an average person on a level that everyone can relate to and understand is the, uh, is the key to why they're able to have a relationship with Hashem. And of course, not everyone is going to be the same, but that's not just the philosophers that say that. Uh, and the Gemara says that, you know, only four of the Chachamim made it to the Pardes of all of the Chachmei Yisrael of the time. And even of those four, only one of them made it out having benefited from going into the Pardes. Uh, three out of four, it was a pretty bad, uh, pretty bad uh, outcome. Uh, you know, three out of four uh, failed, or, you know, it came out as a negative experience, the Pardes for them. And in general, we see that the Chachamim are different, have a different religious experience and are on a different, uh, in a different framework than uh, they experience Yediyat Hashem in a different way than the uh, average person. Even the way that they celebrated Sukkot and the Beit HaMikdash, that the Chachamim were dancing and singing and everybody was watching them, uh, is to show you that their their concept of ivdu et Hashem b'simcha was qualitatively different than the average person, and knowing that is part of the is part of the beauty of yahadut. In other words, the idea that the people see that there's an ideal to strive for. Everyone's at their own level, um, and that's a valued level, the level that they're at. But they uh, but they're not at the ultimate level, and there's a higher level. That's that's part of the beauty of it. It's not all or nothing. You know, it's, uh, I remember I asked a priest in the uh, Catholic university one time, 
what's the role of, I said, you know, in, in Judaism, learning is so important and a person who learns more is considered higher level, mm -hmm. the person who knows the most has the highest relationship with God. What is it like in, in your, in, you know, in Christianity? And he said, look, learning is good. Obviously the priests study and all that, but it's not necessary. You know, it's not, it's not, uh, uh, it's not a ma'akiv, basically, a person's relationship with God in any way. Um, if they don't have knowledge, they just have to have faith. And that's the big difference in Judaism, that there's a process and a person can be at a higher or lower level. And we recognize the difference between tamirei chachamim and higher level tamirei chachamim and lower level. And that's, that's, part of the, uh, that's, part of the process, that's part of the phenomenon. But yeah, for sure. Everyone criticizes the Rambam for being elitist, but it's not really the Rambam, it's the, it's the Gemara's elitist, you know? The, the Gemara is elitist. I mean, it's it says that Tamidei Chachamim are in a different class, a different category. They should stay away from the Ameha Aretz and all these different halachot, especially the way the Rambam explains them, that they were meant to distance the Chachamim from the Ameha Aretz. But even if you don't take that uh, perspective, the fact is that the uh, the Chachamim definitely saw themselves in a different category and uh, understood that they were engaged in Avodat Hashem at a different level. And... Uh, and if you want to really be honest, then that makes Shlomo Amelech also as an elitist because he talks about how the Chacham is so much better than the fool and, you know, that he's very discriminatory against uh, fools and uh, uh, people I are ignorant. The Chacham that Shlomo, when he says Chacham, he means someone with, with, with wisdom, which doesn't really require as much intelligence as what it seems like the Al-Bad is demanding. Well, it, right. Depends which part of Mishlei you're looking at because he also connected to the Chuchma of the universe in Mishlei in the beginning. Uh, so there's, there, there's, there is a, um, the chokhmah of a person who is living a life of chokhmah, real, the, I would say that the yirat shamayim of mishlei is really the most, the natural yirat shamayim, the yirat Hashem, we talk about yirat Hashem, meaning the idea of consequence, that behavior has consequences, because the, the idea in mishlei is that a person sees that the universe is run by chokhmah, and therefore if I act the fool, I'm going to come up against the universe. I'm going to end up banging into the universe instead of living in accordance with it and in harmony with it. And that's that's the reality. The reality is that a person who lives in is going to live in harmony with the universe. And a person who lives in a foolish way is going to end up banging his head against the universe a lot because the universe uh, expects more uh, because it's built on, it's, it, it's, it is governed by chokhmah and you're not. So, um, so you're going to have a problem. So that, so there is a connection between the two. But let, let's see if we can get a little further. So now he says, um, so he says, Right. So the important thing he says. Therefore, a person should realize that you're making a mistake if you think that the parts of the Talmud that don't deal with only the explanation of the mitzvot are not important. He says, on the contrary, uh, really, they're extremely important in the knowledge of Torah, the, the, the Agadot about Midot, about Hashkachat Hashem, and all these things are extremely important, as like the Ramchal also says. Ramchal says that the Midrashim are extremely important at the highest level of knowledge. The opposite of what it's done nowadays. Now, nowadays, the, the, they introduce Midrashim to the kids and the Hamon Am to make the rabbi's speech sound entertaining or whatever, or to engage people with uh, inspirational speeches. They bring all these midrashim that have people ooh, ooh, ah, and they really love it. But the, in the yeshivot, all they learn is halacha and gemara and rashi and tosafot and you know uh, it, very intellectual abstract stuff. And the agadot are for the Hamon Am. It's exactly the opposite. In reality, the agadot and the midrashim are for the most advanced levels of understanding Torah and the deepest understanding. And the halacha is more uh, is more basic. It's more it's more basic and and uh, and accessible than the actual understanding of those agadot and midrashim. So, and that's why the, that's what the Ramchal really says. Ramchal says that the person who's at the highest level of understanding is mainly learning midrashim and Tanakh. That's 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 what that's where he's getting his his main source of uh, focus. So it's totally opposite of what the uh, what the world of the yeshivot thinks today. So the, so therefore, now that I've explained the in the intent of the Torah to you, meaning now, now that you understand the program of what the Torah is trying to accomplish in terms of uh, attaining perfection in all these areas. I want to explain each part of it. In each of the three parts that we mentioned, according to what we can, because it's extremely 
unlikely or extremely remote for anybody to understand the full expl- explanation, the full intent of the Torah. I think you'll see from at looking at my words that we at least got a lot of the understanding of the Torah, even if not all of it. In other words, he's saying that he'll be able to discover some, but not uh, obviously, you'll never be able to exhaust it because the uh, the ultimately the uh, the knowledge of Torah is, is infinite. Now, because it's part of Chochmat Hashem and it's part of Ashkachat Hashem, and it's it's Chochmat Hashem in terms of the understanding, and it's Ashkachat Hashem because it leads creation to a higher state of perfection by uh, by educating us and and refining us. Now he says, now this is what where I find really really interesting. Now he gets into his methodology. So this was what he did so far was lay out for us his sense of what the purpose of Torah is and what the compo- the different elements of it. Now he's going to get into how he relates, how, what his methodology is for understanding the Torah and how it relates to, uh, uh, to the Midrash, Midrashim of Chazal. Okay, and I think this is fascinating for anybody who learns Gemara or anybody who has learned it or anybody who's who, who, who's seen even Midrashe Halacha, how he approaches it. I think it's so important because it really can affect your learning and qualitatively enhance your learning. I want to place here a fundamental, you know, premise. What has been made clear from, uh, from all of the sort of philosophical studies in their various topics. So he said, first of all, I'm not going to explain philosophy to you. So if you want to understand my philosophical ideas, you have to learn them somewhere else, right? In other words, anything I'm using as a premise, whatever has been explained in other subjects regarding philosophy, meaning this isn't going to be a science book. It's not going to be a philosophy book. You have to come already with that background. And I'm also not going to bring here what the rabbis talk about in terms of drash, when they're talking about drashot. Even though they're very nice things, these drashot of the chazal. They're not really explaining the Torah in their drashot. Our goal is to explain the Torah as they as the words, what they mean in and of themselves. He doesn't want you to um he doesn't want you to get tired with all these drashot. So he's not going to bring a lot of drashot. So he's saying to you, look, we're gonna we're gonna focus. What is the purpose of this paragraph? We're gonna focus on Torah itself. We're not going to focus on drashot that the rabbis use the psukim as a platform to express other ideas other than what the Torah is talking about. That's what a drash is, right? When a person gives like a drash, a drash or whatever, uh, you know, they're, they're using the words of Torah to send the message, but the message is not really the explanation of the Torah. A lot of times it's just a, uh, it, it's something else that they're using the words of Torah as a rhetorical device. We're not going to use, we're not going to do that. And we're not going to talk about the philosophical topics. I'm going to assume that you know that. So he's basically, he's, he's narrowing the focus. He's saying what we're going to focus on is what the Torah itself means. We're going to use the tools, of course, of the, uh, of philosophical ideas and scientific ideas that we have, but we're not going to focus on ex- explaining those, okay? Our explanation is going to be only of the Divrei Torah, and that's why we're not going to bring the Drashot of the Chazal, because they're not really explaining the Divrei Torah. They are riffing off of the uh, of the, uh, uh, of the uh, Divrei uh, Torah. Now, we, now, this is what he says, and, and, and this is the part that I find really, really interesting about his me- methodology. He says, when we're explaining the mitzvot and the principles of mitzvot, shorashim are the halachic principles. When he calls a shorash, it's a halachic principle that come from the various laws, okay? That, that, that are the source, rather, of the various laws that are explained in the Chochmah Talmudi'it, in the Talmudic study. So this is super interesting. He says, I'm not going to necessarily use the same pasuk that the Chachamim used 
when they make made a drasha and they said, oh, from this pasuk you learn this, from that pasuk you learn that. It could be that they made a gzera shava, or it could be that they made a uh, they made a they found an extra letter in this word. They found another whatever it is in the yodgimum midochat I'm not necessarily going to use those sukim. Because they would attach their true ideas that they accept, that they already had to these psukim. They're using it as a kind of a hint or an asmachta, a reference to those psukim. They didn't necessarily think that these strategies of yud midot were the actual source of these halachot. Because you could reverse the entire Torah with this kind of logic. It's like the famous thing. You could be you could purify a sheretz using this logic. Rather, I'm going to take the ideas of the Chazal. In other words, what he's going to do is he's going to take principles of Torah Shebaal but he's going to show how they emerge on the pasuk itself. Because this gives the, the, the because the soul will have greater um greater clarity. This Can't way, this is hidden. huh? This is crazy. Yeah, listen, what he, it's, it's great. I'm not leaving the way of the rabbis. Because they didn't really mean for that the, these to be the sources of this. So what I think is really interesting is you don't realize how many, I was showing my son the other day, how many times this explains something in the Rambam that's very problematic because a lot of times the Rambam will quote in the Mishneh Torah Pasuk that let's say if a machloket in the Gemara one side brings a certain Pasuk and says oh this Pasuk shows uh, such and such and the other side brings a different Pasuk and then the Rambam and we hold like side A but the Rambam will bring in the Mishneh Torah side the Pasuk of side B okay and everyone says why, why did you bring that Pasuk it's a machloket between two sides. Side A brought a pasuk from such and such pasuk. Side B, so if you're going to be posek like side A, so why are you bringing the pasuk of side B? So the answer is, so this Ral Bag explains it. I showed him this Ral Bag. See, what, what if, once you understand that the technique of arriving at a halacha, what the halachic answer is, is different than once you have the truth of what the halacha is, what you do with it. So I'll give you an example. If I say, lot well, how do I know that it means eating and cooking and also hana'a, not getting benefit, not eating? How do I know that? Oh, because it says three times in the Torah, right? But the way the Ralbag will try to explain it is from I could, in, once I know these, the halacha, that, that you have these three prohibitions, I want to read the pasuk through the lens of the Torah Shebaal Peh. And I'll try to show that implies in and of itself, not eating it, not benefiting from it. Once I know that idea, so now I'm gonna, I'm gonna internalize that and I'm gonna make that my Torah Shebaal Peh through which I'm gonna read the Pasuk. Would I have known that that was the right understanding? It would be a possible understanding, right? But not a definitive one. Now that I know that the Chazal have told me that I have three prohibitions, Hana'a, Achila, and uh, Bishul. So now when I read the words, Lo Gedibachalevimo, I have to read them with the meaning that that implies three prohibitions, right? So that's the type of thing that he would, he would say. So, and, and, and this explains so many examples, uh, where, like I said, where the Rambam uh, takes the Pasuk, the wrong Pasuk, and uses it in, because once you decide the halakha is like the chachamim against uh, such and such, uh, it's like Rabbi Akiva against uh, uh, Rabbi Tarfon. Once you decide the halakha is like uh, the chizkia against uh, whoever. So once you do that, so now when you read the pasuk, you have to read it the way Rabbi Akiva read it, not the way that Rabbi Tarfon read it. So what the Rabbi Tarfon brought that is his proof. It doesn't matter. Once we decide the halakha is Rabbi Akiva, so now we read through the lens of Rabbi Akiva. We don't read through the lens of Rabbi Tarfon. So when we read the psukim, we read them with that understanding. So that's the idea of, um, of the, uh, what the Ralbag is saying. I don't want to get involved in the drashot of the Chazal, how they got to their perush, how they got to the Beit of Torah Shebikhtav. 
I want just to be miva'ir to Rashi with the conclusions that they already formulated. So if I get you lost in the process, that's a totally different science of how to determine, how to prove, how to determine what the halakha is going to be or why to do it this way or do it that way. But once we've established this is what lo gediba means, I don't need to get into how did they, what drashot did they use, what are this. I'm just going to tell you, this is what the, I'm just going to try to read the word tivashil in with that perush. It's almost as if the, the Ralbag is giving us the lens with which the Chachamim were reading the Torah that inspired them to use the Midrashim they used. Right, Meaning exactly. Like he's giving, he wants to give us the broad framework and understanding that the Chachamim had developed of the Torah that led them to say, okay, we need to make a Midrash that makes any sort of Bishul, Achila, and Hana'a. Right, to substantiate it. In other words, he's saying that they were substantiating a, a Be'ur of the Pasuk that right. was in and of itself a good Be'ur. So you're, you're getting lost in how they're substantiating it using certain tools of the Yudgimu Midot that are the authorized methods of, you know, demonstrating one but side. Can we call the them the authorized methods of substantiation? Exactly. It's like you have certain authorized methods in, in, in math. of dem- You could have an idea in math that you think is correct, a theory, but you can't prove it. So it doesn't become accepted. It rem- remains a theorem and it's not, you know, or in science, it's a, it, you can have a theorem or in, or in, or in math. You know, you have like uh, certain uh, certain theorems in math that were never proven. They've never found an example to contradict them, but they were never able to prove them, right? So the person who thought of it had a very strong intuition that this was true, but he couldn't prove using the recognized methods of mathematics that his idea was true. So therefore it never attained the level of being, you know, a proven uh, statement. So the Chachamim had a method of proving ideas. That's not the same thing as what is the idea? You see, he's saying, I'm just going to focus on what is the idea of Bishul. Okay, so there's there's a Rabbi Yossi Aglili that says it's mutar to get Hana'a from Basar B'chalab. So he didn't read Lo Tivashel Gedei B'chalevimo the way that we're reading it, let's say. Okay, he didn't, or, you know, or whatever, right? He, he didn't read it that way. So they, so he didn't read it as including Hana'a, but that's not what the Chachamim determined was the proper reading. So why would I get involved in a flame war between Rabbi Yossi Aglili and everybody else rather than just try to explain what is the bi'ur of according to what we understand, right? So, uh, can you explain again how this helps understand the Rambam? The Rambam brings oh, the... Because there's a, there's a bunch of places, I have to bring you the examples, but um, there's a bunch of places where the Mifarshim and the Rambam go crazy because he... Um, because he will take, let's say, there's a machloket between two sides in the Gemara, and each side brings its pasuk to try to prove its point, and the Rambam will be posek according to one side, but then in the Mishneh Torah where he explains that halacha, he'll quote the pasuk of the other side. Right? And everyone says, well, why is he quoting the pasuk of the wrong Tana? Why is he quoting the pasuk of the wrong Amorah from the Gemara? What, 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 you know, he, he's confusing things. It's, it's wrong. It's not supposed to be that pasuk. It's a different pasuk. I'll bring you some examples. There's one in Hilchot Pesach, one in Hilchot Machalot Asurot that's very famous that he brings. So, uh, and in that I just can think of off the top of my head, but there's a bunch of uh, other ones. And in all those cases, if you follow this, that look, he said, once it's a settled matter, so you know, what are you going to say? That pasuk doesn't count now. We, we, we don't, we, we're, we're not goyres the oh, okay. pasuk anymore because it, because it, that we, we weren't posek the halacha according to that manda. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. No, we have to now take that pasuk and explain it according to the conclusion. That's all. Mm-hmm. You know, so now he says, So he says, what's the benefit of reading a Be'ur of the Torah without all of this, these other uh, stuff, all of this other fireworks of the Chachamim? It's going to leave more of an imprint. That's why he said, also, it's more settled. It's more clear when it's in, when it is basically integrated with your reading of the Pasuk. Okay, because we all know the Torah, hopefully. Everybody knows the Psukim, right? Because we read it all the time. When we see in those very words the explanation, we see the Torah explaining those words instead of the explanation being some extraneous argument in the Gemara somewhere else, but we actually see in the words of the Torah that explanation. It will help us to, to remember all of the uh, 
all of the um, explanations of the mitzvah in general. When we read the pasuk, we're going to think of that explanation. It's not going to be external to it, right? We're also going to offer reasons for every mitzvah according to our limited ability. First of all, when you know the reasons for things, it's a completion of your knowledge of the thing, that's for sure. You, would, you wouldn't say you have a complete knowledge if you don't know the reasons. It's like the uh, Ibn Ezra says when it says, uh, which is the which is the pasuk that the Rambam has actually in the beginning of the Mishneh Torah. Um, in the beginning when he when he talks about uh, before he lists all the mitzvot. So the the Ibn Ezra there says then I, that means when I know all the reasons for the mitzvot. But anyway, it says This will also help you keep your knowledge. When you know the reason behind something, right? Then you're going to remember it and it's going to stay with you more because you know the reason. He's pointing out to you different standards of proof. When you talk about reasons, you're not talking about a mathematical demonstration or that it must be that there's tefillin because there's no other way for there the, the, to be tefillin. We're not going to have a, a, a proof like that. It's not a proof, not a proof type of uh, explanation. You also don't have naturalistic. What's a naturalistic explanation? Mechanical, meaning you're not going to have an explanation of, oh, uh, it has to be that you have a certain mitzvah based on like a mathematical proof that must be. It's not going to be that kind of a reason. That's a compelling reason. It has to be. that. It's gonna, and it's also not going to be that it has to be a, for a mechanical reason of cause and effect, like in nature or something like that. You're not going to have that. You're never going to have that kind of proof in the realm of Torah. If you read the ethics of Aristotle, he explains how you can't have ethical proofs the same way you have logical proofs. It's not the same thing, right? That what the level of proof, a standard of proof has to be uh, relative to the subject matter, fine. But now he's going to say, now what he's going to introduce here, and we're not going to be able to do now, we'll do next time, is he's going to give his eight principles for explaining the Torah according to its natural meaning, okay? And we're going to, and he gives examples, oh, it's more than eight, I thought it was eight, I guess nine. Okay, the nine principles for explaining the Torah according to its natural meaning, and it's really incredible because he's going to show you how you can, how he does this, basically, how we can take the explanation of a mitzvah um, that the rabbis derive through some complex, you know, pages of Gemara and basically show you if you just understand the word or the concept in a certain manner, according to certain principles, you read the Torah Shebikhtav according to certain principles, these explanations can emerge for you as the natural explanation. So what he's gonna help us do basically is read the Torah in a way that we integrate Torah Shebaalpeh with Torah Shebikhtav, which you know is one of the things that the Rambam also was very emphatic about, that kol mitzvah, right? All the mitzvot that Moshe Rabbeinu got besinai, they were given with their perush, right? That's the opening of the Mishneh Torah. All the mitzvot that Moshe Rabbeinu received were given with their explanation. And you and we have to do the Torah al pia mitzvah, right? Al pia Torah shayurucha, or it's, you know, he says, um, right, I mean, he, he quotes a couple of different sukim there, but the point is that you, you the Torah and the mitzvah, the Torah shebikhtav and the mitzvah are, uh, are integrated in this in the system of the of the uh, the chachamim of the Rambam school. That's the big difference between the pilpul, which disconnects Torah shebalpeh from Torah shebichtav. So you can have ideas and arguments and concepts that bear no no resemblance to anything in Torah shebichtav in the realm of. Uh, when it is uprooted and disconnected from any then you have a that is actually a, actually a perush and the deepening of the reading of as it's supposed to be and many of the objections and issues with that were raised by heretics of all sorts over the history, over the history of time has been because they assume that the was a separate body of knowledge that was an independent body of knowledge that somehow competed with 
or even overrode the Torah Shebikhtav. Whereas when you understand Torah Shebal Peh properly, you realize that it's the conceptual unpacking of Torah Shebikhtav, really. It's supposed to be the enlightened reading or the deeper reading of Torah Shebikhtav. Every word in Torah Shebikhtav, if you're like, well, we used examples from random uh, subjects when we, uh, when we were learning before, like if you're learning uh, the the laws of pea again, like we were talking about the pea as an example, you know, I remember. So you talk about the word sadecha. Uh, what does sade mean? Is sade an objective uh, amount of land? Does sade mean any area that you would plant in? Does sade mean a, an area of land that produces certain quantity of produce? Does sade mean um, any kind of piece of land, and it's irrelevant. It's just an example. It's calling it sadeh because it's uh, what we call a. It's just an. Ins- it's just an example, and it, it doesn't mean anything. You know, objective. So that would be a machloket in the Mishnah of pea, and then whatever the halacha is. Now, when you read that word sadeh, do you read it as an example? Do you read it as a, an objective measure? Do you read it as a as a as a location of planting? Do you really is is pea really related to the planting? Is it related to the harvesting? And therefore, it has to be the amount that uh, you know the the amount of land that produces a certain amount of harvest. Whatever you decide of that machloket tanaim in the Mishnah. So now, when you read the pasuk, you read it the word sadeh that way. You don't have a separate Torah Peh floating out in the air. They're trying to deal with what does that word Sadeh mean, okay? When they're talking about what size of a, of a field requires Peah to be left from it, right? Or when they talk about, uh, I'm just giving random examples, okay? Beit Shamayim Beit they'll argue whether... Um, or any kind of benefit is just an example of benefit and enjoyment means whatever you enjoy and it's giving the primary example of enjoyment is but really it means any benefit right or no according to Beit Hillel it literally has to I'm sorry according to Beit Shammai it literally is only Achila because eating is a particular activity that the Torah um, legislates requires you know, sanctifies in the context of Yom Tov because you have to do eating to celebrate the Yom Tov. And therefore, for the purpose of that mitzvah of eating and drinking on the Yom Tov, you have a permission to do malachot, but other things, enjoyment itself is not allowed. So how do you read Is it telling you enjoy the day and do whatever you, any malachot you need to enjoy the day? Or is it telling you, no, in order to fulfill this mandate of eating and drinking on the holiday, the Torah gives you permission to do malachot. I'm just giving you totally off the top of my head yeah, random yeah. example. Right. So for example, yeah. a, a, an intelligent reader of the Torah would say, okay, halacha was nitzak like betilel, that means that anything that's for the enjoyment of the chag can be done. Right. And then, and then I now have to look to see where the hachanim got, the, where betilel developed that idea from the psukim. Right. And that's what the, what, what, what the Gemara the deals with, is how did betilel substantiate their reading? But, yeah, but once we of, have like, that technical substantiation, I'm talking about right. uh, now my job as a like what the Rabbi wants to do is say, is say where did Beit Hillel see such an importance placed on enjoying the Chag? Exactly, yeah. exactly. That would be that's a that's a post Mishneh Torah type of learning, basically. What the, what the Ralbag is is doing is a, is a, he doesn't say this, but basically it's a post Mishneh Torah. Meaning, once we've decided that all of the back and forth in the Gemara was already settled and done and. And you know, and so on. So now we're reading the Torah Shebikhtav integrated with our Torah Shebal Pes. So the question is not going to be, is Beit Shammai right or Beit Hillel right? The question is going to be, given that the Pasuk means, means enjoy yourself on the holiday and any kind of enjoyment, it's just an example of the type of enjoyment that you might uh, partake in, but it's not exclusive. It's meant to be ex- exemplific, you know, an exemplification. So now the question is, what does that mean about the nature of Yom Tov and how we understand it um, in the context, in the rest of the, uh, you know, in, in Yom Tov in general, what is really the, what did Beit Hillel see and how does that enrich our understanding of what Yom Tov is supposed to be in general? That's a post Mishneh Torah type of reading where we're not getting caught in the back and forth between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. We're explaining to Rashi Bichtav with the premise that this is the perush of the pasuk. Okay, and I think it's an amazing way to approach it. It, it, It's fascinating, but does that mean that there is no peshat independent of the halakha that was nifsak from the Torah? Like, I know there's this discussion that goes back and forth between Ibn Ezra and Rashbam on, like, passages like or something like that, or, 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 
Where was it? There, there were some passages in which Rashbam says that there is a halakha that's in, there is a understanding. Yeah, like in the beginning of Mishpatim, he says it. You know, the halakha is from the, you should read the, you should read my grandfather, he brings all the halakhot. Right, that's independent of the Peshat of the Kuhim. Yeah, that, it's interesting. The Ibn Ezra also will say that. The Ibn Ezra is more subversive because he'll say, oh, you know, the, we have the Torah Shabbat Peb, but, you know, you could also read it this way, you know. Right, so yeah. that the, these opinions of Rashbam and Ibn Ezra would be excluded according to like I don't right. I think I think that the Ralbag and the Rambam and, and the Ramban also really believe that the Torah Shabbat should be integrated with Torah Shabbat ultimately at the end of the day, and that if you're and that that pshat reading is a, is a the pshat reading is a hava amina in the uh, in the reading, but it's not the maskana. So I, I think that's how they would read it. I don't think they would agree with Ibn Ezra that you should read the Torah Shabbat in the Halachot, you know, in so far as the Halacha is concerned, independently of the Torah Shabbat the way that, you know, I don't think they would agree with it. I think they would say it's a, it's might, they might value doing it because you need, because you're engaging with the text and you're considering the possibilities in the text. Um, mm -hmm. And that's important to understand because what does Perush mean? Perush means lafrish to take out the wrong, uh, you're, you're taking out the the uh, you're mafrish out the explanations that are wrong, right? You're 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 removing the explanations that are that are incorrect. Um, so that's really what the process of beur or perush is. Still, the process of beur or perush is removing um, incorrect understanding to get to the truth. So they would they would value that work, but I think that they would think that it's stalled work because you're because by definition you're disconnecting tuasha bichtav from tuasha balpe. Wow. Yeah. But it's still valuable in the sense that you know, okay, this is what it seems to me at first glance, and Chachamim seem to be up to something else. Let me now dig deeper and see what they found in the text that led them to that conclusion. Right, exactly. I think that's what they're trying to say. They're saying those, they might, they value Ibn Ezra for sure. The Ralbag quotes him a lot, even, and the Ramban quotes him a lot, and all that. But I think they would think that it's a, uh, it falls short of what a full learning of Torah would be because it would have to integrate the Torah with the Torah ultimately and not just show the possibilities of reading Torah which is valuable, but is not the end of, of the reading of Torah I think it's important to, to do it because then you, then you appreciate what the Torah has done in bringing to light a particular angle on reading the Pasuk. Okay, so let's let's leave it here. Let's hopefully Bezrat Hashem uh, 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 continue uh, from here next week. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much. Sorry, everyone, for talking so much. I really enjoyed.